Hey there, I'm Nikki Milne, high school dropout and ex-hairdresser and salon owner turned PR and marketing expert and founder of the Peth Collective PR Agency. The Passion to Profit podcast is a conversational business podcast with a focus on marketing and PR to help business owners scale successfully, acquire more customers, increase your profits and become that desired go-to brand in your industry. So open your notepad on your phone, get out your pens and paper. You don't want to miss any of the following tips, tricks, and strategies that you're about to experience on the Passion to Profit podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to the Passion to Profit show, Ashley Jade. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been um, long-time friends, worked together on many projects, and I just you just radiate happiness and joy. And you just I think that's what sets you apart in this really competitive world of influencing. And you're just an all-around beautiful person. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, Nikki, you're giving me all the warm, fuzzy feels. Thank you. And I feel so lucky to be one of the first people on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's it. When I crafted a podcast list, I really looked at people around that, especially for my initial um, guests, were people that really had influenced me and been there from really early on in my journey. And I think our paths crossed really early on. And, you know, we're still standing. Here we are, seven years later, (laughs) um, despite probably a few hundred dropping off uh, along the side as we've progressed yeah. in time, which is very natural, especially in COVID. I noticed there was a huge drop off of influencers that literally just appeared off the platform, never to return. Um, yeah, some of them are my it. friends and it's, yeah, yeah, they've had to take take a break from it all. And I completely resonate with that. Sometimes I feel like I want to hide in a hole and not come out for a little while. And I have been known to hibernate when I need to. And I've just been graceful in allowing whatever I need to do to happen. And I think that's so important. And I really admired, I mean, it was a lot of, uh, we had about five key female influencers in mm. Perth in particular that just um, COVID 18 months, two years ago, they literally just stopped posting on the platform and yeah, they literally have not returned. So they've obviously found happiness outside the platform or, you know, just no longer want that or need that in their life, which I think has been a really interesting thing. Um, one of the things to come out of COVID. But we want to talk about you today. So I'd love to delve deep into Ashley Jade, where it all began, because I obviously know you um, from your crown days, but then obviously as a influencer, but I want to know what you did before. What were you like at school? Where did you go after learning school? I don't think this is, um, you know, I don't personally know this after seven years of knowing you. And so I've never shared, I don't think. There you go. I like it. (laughs) Take the floor. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, we have to roll it back, go back a little bit. So I I graduated high school and um while I was at high school, I knew that I always wanted to do modeling. I don't know what it was about it, but I loved like I, I wasn't the most attractive child. Like <laughs> I would say that I was a bit of an ugly duckling. Um but then people were like, uh, that's not true. But I guess we all see ourselves differently, right? But I, I think my mum had modeled when she was younger and that's where I got that. inspo from and I was like I want to do that too and so I one day was at the Galleria shopping center and I used to work at Boost Juice and I was on a break and I was walking past a hairdressing salon and this lady literally ran me down in the shopping center and was like I need you to be a hair model for me and 
I just felt like it was that moment where I'm like, this is my big break. Someone is finally <laughs> noticing me. And I mean, it, like now that I know what hair modeling is, like, you know, not like so it, it's not so glamorous. I mean, they chop all your hair off. They go crazy colors. And, but I didn't care. I just so badly wanted to be noticed. I, I just, I wanted to get that experience under my belt. So I was like, I would do anything. So I was a hair model for Reno's hair care for about six or seven years or something. But that really gave me the confidence to get that experience in front of the camera and what it's like on set and what you need to prepare for, like how important your skin looks and everything and looking after yourself. And then I was signed to an agency, Spears agency, but then that kind of went downhill pretty quickly. I think they closed really fast and um, it was like very sudden. Then I started working at Forever New and then they would show interest in maybe using me for a couple of their shows. Like they had me do some runway shows, which was really cool because it was like, oh my God, I'm living my dream, <laughs> but also working there. And um, I worked there for five years and yeah, that's well, while I was there, I then discovered it, my space was around at this time. Okay. So this is showing my age, <laughs> but I was like, what else can I do? Because a big agency wouldn't sign me. I wasn't tall enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't pretty enough, whatever. And so I was like, what can I do? Like, is there something else out there? And I was scrolling on MySpace one day and I came across this page called Crazy Sexy Cool Perth. And yeah. And there were these girls on there who they just, they had curves and they weren't like the girls that I would compare myself to in the magazines. Right. So like, I saw these girls and one of my things was I used to hate my hips. Now I love them. I'm like, yeah, girl, you got hips. Cool. Uh, But (laughs) before I used to have real harsh body image issues where I used to imagine this is so crazy, but I would imagine like cutting, get like, I wanted to have surgery to cut my hips off. Like how insane is that? Yeah. Young and impressionable. I think, yeah, Yeah. certainly that's, yeah, era. And I mean, it still very much is with social media, but it's so yeah. important that we kind of recognize we'd all, most of us have had those thoughts at that time in our life. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw these girls, women, and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen anyone in a magazine or on on the internet with curves like that. And I was like, I could be on stage doing that. And it was Perth Fashion Festival. That's what they were modeling in. So I was like, how do I set up a meeting? So I hunted them down. I I found their office and I set up a meeting to go in there. And I met with Michaela, the agency director, and she was like, oh, my gosh, we absolutely have to have you on. And will you do a modeling competition? And I was like, oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I was like, I just want to do either like the promotional side of things because I was doing promo modeling as well here and there for brands in like shopping centers or events and things and I love that being amongst the crowd with people and um she was like oh I just I really I have this this competition coming up that I think you would do really well in it's for newbies and two weeks later I was on stage entering a bikini competition in a nightclub (laughs) wow and at that time so I was 19 and I never drank. I never went out partying or anything. My first nightclub was, I think, 
when I went, when I turned 19, I went to a nightclub for the first time. But what I loved was being backstage and hanging out with the girls and just getting ready and that excitement and the adrenaline of being on stage. I didn't care that I wasn't modeling for some major like national brand or whatever. Like I just loved that I was doing what I loved. And maybe that was like the show pony in me. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually say this, I was saying it to someone the other day. Um, It's a performance. I feel that when I step on stage or even when I'm on Instagram to a certain degree, it's a show, it's a performance. You're projecting yourself further. You're being very conscious of what you're saying and what you're doing and how you're holding your body. So, you know, that's probably very much where you were grasping the initial stages of your career and learning how to actually be on show and in a performance, whether it being a modeling, um, you know, a modeling competition, or I know in later years, obviously you went on to do other work in that area with Crown. Yes. Yeah. So I did that for about four years and it wasn't until four years in doing the comps that someone actually said to me, Hey, if you took this a bit more seriously, like don't just treat it as for fun. If you kind of put in the work, you could do really well. And I didn't really know what they meant by that. But then I took some time off. I started watching what the girls that were winning were doing. And the first comp that I came back and did, I won. Um, So then, and that started a winning streak. And then I got addicted to that. It was like, oh my gosh. And it kind of validated me for me in a way, um, because I, I, and I realize that now because I never had like a lot of validation growing up. And so I think like, I was like, okay, well, I'm finally being accepted. Like I'm good at something finally, and I'm being recognized for that. Um, So it's like, yeah, that's been an interesting thing to grasp. I can totally (laughs) resonate. I feel very the same. I was probably a similar upbringing. And so every win is validating that I'm worth actually, yeah, good. And I can achieve something and I've done it on my own merit. So I think, um, you know, when you find your space where you're comfortable in and other people start recognizing that you're good at something, that just changes the trajectory of your life so much it really really does yeah because like I said I was quotations never good at anything but that's what I thought anyway and so I was finally good at something yay and so then in that space Facebook launched and I then wanted to keep my modeling separate so rather than posting it on my Facebook page I then created a public page and would start posting on there and over the years that grew rapidly uh, because I was very active on that every day, like all day, every day, like three to five posts a day. I was interacting with people and I loved it because I recognized all the names that were showing up. Then I started working at the casino as well during that time. So I was working shift work and in between I was like engaging and building a brand, like a personal brand on Facebook. And then that's during that time when I was doing comps, brands then would start reaching out to me because they saw that I was doing photo shoots, that I was being printed in magazines. I was traveling over East. I was being featured in a lot of pages and they were like, Hey, like, we'd love to send you a bikini, um, if we, we could get some photos in return. And that's kind of where my influencer journey started. So it was kind of a, the, being an influencer before knowing what it was. So back then, I guess I would call it brand ambassador. So I was a brand ambassador for a lot of companies, but a real big moment for me was when I became an ambassador for Monster Energy and I was signed on with them for a couple of years and I traveled all around Australia. Um, They were very generous. They really looked after us and it was like a family. And that is where a big part of my following came from as well. And um, so let me just talk about that because I shouldn't talk about this very 
very often <laughs> and we were just having a chat off air and I said, you know, I had to do research for a particular client. Um, they wanted me to do a full profile on you before they'd consider engaging you to promote yeah. their brand. And so there I was, I knew you quite well, but then I jumped on Facebook and you had over 1 million followers and still do, which yeah. you do not ever mention or talk about and I was like no this company is and of course it was you because I saw the photos it definitely was you and I was like she never talks about this incredible asset of 1.2 I think yeah followers and I mean you don't post on it now very much or at all would that be correct no yeah I I do here and there it's probably maybe once a month and I would really like to start posting on there more I just I feel so disconnected from it I don't know how to come back onto the platform. I know that posting to Instagram and Facebook is very different. And when my Facebook page did, like it kind of went viral. It it was like I got rewarded from Facebook for engaging with my audience so much. And one day it became a recommended page underneath the status bar. And I was traveling at the time. I'm like, what the hell? I thought someone had bought me followers. So I started freaking out. I'm like, why is it going up 10,000 every few minutes? I would refresh and it'd be like, boom, 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 and keep skyrocketing. And I got embarrassed by it. And then I just put up a post and I was like, hey, there's a lot of new people here. I had 9,000 followers this morning. Where are you all coming from? And then people started sending me screenshots that, oh, you're under the status bar. Welcome, new follower here. I'm from like blah, blah country. I'm like, cool, like welcome. Great to have you here. But it also made me really shy. And I started to then creep back in like away from it because I really missed the people that I would see every day engaging on my post. And all of a sudden my post would just get flooded with all these names that I didn't recognize. And so like, that's a key point there is I want people to realize that just because you have a high number of followers doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing because like, I, I think I built a really good, strong community on Facebook and then it just got saturated by these people that I, like, I didn't know. And I just felt like they didn't actually care to follow me. They just saw like a chicken bikinis and got a good perv out of it so <laughs> yeah and that, yeah and I mean that's the kind of interesting thing when you look at that because obviously I've watched you evolve away from all that now and you've got a whole um different brand and aesthetics and what you post to then go back then and reactivate that Facebook account and even though it's got the 1.2 million you've literally got to pivot like I did because mm. when I changed the original perfect of to Mickey Milne I lost about I think it's 10,000 followers in the yep. last six months, which I was full knowledge that was going to happen and I was mm. completely comfortable with it because I could no longer uh, continue on as a Perth Collective at that stage during COVID because it was so challenging for me and I knew I needed to do something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that I knew the content was going to change and I knew the voice was going to change and the what I was putting out was going to change. And if those people that were originally following me didn't want to no longer follow me because they didn't find it a valuable, that was completely okay as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a hard thing when you've worked so it hard is. to get a following and then you're watching 5,000 drop off. And I'm like, when is like, this stop? <laughs> so my page had reached 1.4 million and now it's at 1.3 million. So oh. I'm more than happy. And I think you also need to be okay. Like you were okay with coming to terms with, hey, as I know that when I pivot, I'm no longer going to be serving that part of my audience anymore. And if they choose to stay, that's cool. If they no longer resonate, bless you on your way. Yeah. have a good life and, and you got to be okay with that totally and it's better to have an engaged following like you're saying than a bigger number so my engagement has tripled 
um, mm. since I did that because now the people that are following me are there for education and business, whereas before it was a community platform for small business that a lot of people just followed to get the shout-outs and the freebies. But yeah. funnily enough, full circle, I literally have launched that again last week because yes. I've got a full circle two years <laughs> later and gone, there is absolutely still a need for that and I can now facilitate it because I've got staff and things like that. But, yeah, it was just a really interesting exercise and like we're saying with your um, 1.2 million on Facebook, it would be interesting to actually break down the demographic on it and see, you know, where they lay, uh, you know, what, does your new content resonate with them or where they mm. following you back because of the com- bikini modeling days. So I think that's yeah. really interesting. And so then you went on and you went to Crown as a casino host um, yep. for a while, for, or actually yeah. more than a while. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I got my final pay slip, my years of service were 8.88 years. Oh my gosh. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, huh? Because, and then the three eights mean um, that you're fully in alignment. If you're into numbers, uh, fully in alignment with where you're meant to be. And it's like a reset yeah. into your next Which chapter. It really was, so, wasn't it? Yeah. It was kind I of think- the fork in the road moment because I was juggling working full time. I was dipping my toes in the influencer side of things. And it was also at a time where I thought, Hey, like I'm not going to be doing the bikini stuff forever. And so I had already started to shift my content and focus more on travel and lifestyle. And then when like, so it was quite inconsistent because I would post, but then I'd be working. And so I wasn't able to show up as much as I could. I had to be careful with what I was saying and how I was saying it because staff were following me. Patrons were following me. They'd be like, I saw you on a billboard. And I saw <laughs> your boobs on the back of a bus. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, like- they aligned with our branding and our business. <laughs> And it's like, oh gosh. And now it's like, it took me, you know, it was two years of working hard to turn that around and, and, and change that path. Yeah. And so I remember it was the end of 2019 and I went to my boss at the time and I said, I just really need to go part-time and I want to look at what my options are because I don't feel like I'm needed here full-time. I'm kind of walking around like, a lost puppy looking for things to do, which is not what a boss wants to hear. But I was like, you can't force things to happen. I don't have a budget to do anything. I can't give things away. And so, yeah, he was like, let's talk about it in when I come back from leave. So 2019, January comes around. And that's when COVID things started popping up. So it was over in China. And I was like, maybe I should shut up for a bit. Maybe I won't bring this up just yet. And then all of a sudden, fast forward to March and we're all sent home. And I was like, thank God I didn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew, yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So then I, um, we went back after a few months and it just wasn't the same anymore. But during that time, it allowed me to... I just dived in. I got to be a creator full time and I had fun with it and I did online workshops and was able to shop for my community more. And I just, I loved it so much. And I can't go back to doing, being a host full time. And I, when we went back, I wasn't doing that anyway. So we weren't allowed to be on stage because we couldn't be seen bringing a crowd in. So Yeah. So I was basically asking people to sanitize and show me their membership card before entering the gaming room, like doing that for 12 hours. And like, (laughs) and and it was, it was a real like struggle with my ego and and I really struggled, but also 
just repeat it. It was Groundhog Day every day. And I actually had a panic attack on the gaming floor and I went like, I, I lost it one night because the patrons would, they were nasty. They would like yell at you and everything. And so I, was, I just, I can't be in this environment anymore. And then it just so happened that when the JobKeeper thing ended, they were like, hey, we're going to, here's your options. I didn't like my options. So we went down the redundancy path. And then that then propelled me to kind of be forced into being an influencer, creator full time. And it was the way it happened, it was all meant to happen, I believe. And um, I, I, I kind of knew a year prior that I wasn't going to be there full time anymore. And I was like, I just got to figure out a way. I've got to set myself up so that I can do it. And it, I, I think if that didn't happen, I would probably still be there being miserable and yeah. hating life. <laughs> so you need a push and we need the universe to align to say, you know, now's your time. Stop. Yeah. Take yeah. a break. And then step forward. So that kind of brings me to where are you at now? What do you, I obviously, um, I know about your business, but share with everyone. So after that, you actually went into influencing, but then out of it became a grew, a blossomed, a coaching business. Yeah. So I was doing a social media course at the time. So the day that I got called into the office at Crown, I had just done a welcome call for a social media course that I had. It was a big investment. And I was like, oh my God, I've just signed on to this course and I'm going to have no money. I'm losing my job. (laughs) Like, what do I do? But that course saved me. And it was a three month course. And it was during that course that the the lady who ran it, she was like, Ashley, you can be doing what I'm doing. You can be teaching people. You understand this industry because you've been living it for the last 10, 12 years. And I was like, can I? And then it was her that kind of planted the seed. She was like, absolutely. So she really gave me that push. But then it was all of a sudden, because I ha- I truly believe that because I stopped working full time, it allowed space, like energy is space, right? And because that space opened up, I then started receiving emails and DMs from people. Hey, Ashley, do you teach people how to do what you do? I'd love to pick your brain. I'd love to meet up with you. Do you do do this? Is this something that you can do? And what I realized is that, you know, there's, there's coaches out there for businesses, but there's no one specifically targeting influencers and helping them on their journey and direction and giving them some guidance. So I was like, I should really be tapping into this. I've already built the the community with my audience. And so why not serve them and, and, and give the people what they want? Absolutely. (laughs) So when you're starting to get quite a following as an influencer, speaking from experience, you actually get to that 10 to 15,000 followers And then you go, hold on a minute, this is actually getting quite serious. There's brands approaching me, offering me Mm. money, you know, who aligns with me, who doesn't. And all of a sudden you're faced with all these overwhelming decisions. And, you know, you've got to move fast in the influencer world. So although when we did it, we actually, you know, when we were starting, we had time to navigate. No one really knew. It was still Mm. very new when, um, you know, especially when I come on the scene six years ago, seven years ago. Whereas now you've got to move quick. So all those questions, how do I present myself to a brand? What fees I should be charging? You know, what does a brand kit look like? What even is a brand kit or a media kit look like? They all start coming quick and fast. And the quicker you get that together, the more profit you'll probably make. So I think, um, I just think it's such an incredible thing you're offering because I've just always noticed this gap in the market 
for people that have huge potential but don't actually know how to navigate it into being a viable business because it's not yeah, just a so job treating it like a hobby. <laughs> yeah, they're treating it like a hobby. Whereas I'm sure you have a regular, I know you have a regular calendar and, you know, um, <laughs> people slot into your calendar. You very much run it as a full-time business. And I've always admired that about you because obviously I work with you engaging with some of the brands we work with and you're always like, well, I'm filming this day and I'm doing it this day. And it's a very much a structure, which I absolutely love and admire because quite a lot of influencers go, oh yeah, I did it. And I'm like, so for me, you know, receiving media kits and things from a PR agency perspective is such an amazing credibility status for me with an influencer. Unfortunately, a lot don't have them, but I feel Mm. like this is where you could share your experience with them and, you know, fast track them. What you've learned in the last 12 years, you're literally going to teach them over a few coaching sessions so they can go to market. And I'm sure within two or three weeks, they would have repaid the fees that they actually paid you in earnings. So what are some of the questions that are coming up with these influencers? Is that sort of the ballpark of what they're kind of wanting to discover? Absolutely. And I think the important thing to remember also is that when you choose to invest in a coach, you are most likely going to make that investment back because by investing with them, you're kind of fast tracking what they've already learned. Like, so they, they've done what you want to achieve. So by having those sessions with them, they're going to share all of that knowledge with you. And that's what I realized. I don't want to gatekeep that information because I'm not going to be just an influencer forever. I, I want to start sharing that knowledge as well and help others get on that path and turn their Instagram into a personal brand. And that's what I always treated myself as was a personal brand back when I was active on Facebook and working as a brand ambassador. Um, So I was very mindful of the way that I was showing up. And so a lot of influencers that come through, they either want to learn how they, how it is that they can build the relationships with brands and what to say and how to get noticed by them and building that relationship with their audience, turning their uh, audience into super fans. I like to focus as well on building the foundation first. So it's all good to like post a photo here and there, but what about optimizing your profile and setting that up so that you are the one that people come to and the brands come to and your community starts to grow even faster by just making a few tweaks to your profile. Also getting really strong on your messaging, like who you are, what you're about, what you can do for your community. I think just those things, it's not always just brand focus or getting influencer deals. It's about like focusing on also what makes you stand out from other influencers that are also in your niche. So yeah, really knuckling down on your messaging. I think that's a a big thing that people miss out on. And I just totally agree. No, no, I totally agree. And it's actually a business. All those strategies we use in marketing and business, it's no different if you're an influencer. So how does your brand align? How are you speaking to your community? How are you engaging with your community? And I know when I see your posts, I instantly recognize them because they're very much bright, colorful, joyful, aesthetic. And I think that's really important as influencers to get their own niche or their own aesthetic, because ultimately that is a huge thing that attracts a brand to them, but also the brand voice, the brand tone. And especially when we're working with some of our luxury brand clients, they're very much Nikki, this influencer, right? Do they align? Who have they previously worked with? It is a very important thing. We take it into so many things into account and we're always looking for up and coming influencers. 
and they're quite hard to find. And then when I reach out to them, they kind of go, I don't know, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, my God, if you really <laughs> want to take this seriously, you should come back to me and say, well, this is what I want per post and this is what I'm going to get. And I think, um, you know, we were talking about it briefly before, in the recent probably six months, we've seen a drastic in rise in influencer rates. Now, yeah. there is, I don't think there's anywhere near as many influencers being influential as there once was. Yeah, like we true. said, with COVID, we've certainly lost many of them. But I've found it a very interesting thing that there's been such a, and it's a dramatic rise. It's not a little rise. It's kind of like 50% rise in fees I'm noticing. And, you know, supply and demand, there's a lot more demand in the influencer marketing world. And people always ask me, oh, influencer marketing, um, you know, oh, I don't get a return on investment. And the first thing I always say to them, and quite often this is what I see in Facebook groups, and I know you are related. Yeah, to I love a Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. I've worked with an influencer. I've paid a five grand. I haven't seen any return in sales. And I'm like, oh, this blows my mind. Okay, so influencers are not firstly directly about sales. That is not what you're paying an influencer for. You're paying an influencer, and this is obviously my opinion based on my experience, for brand awareness first and foremost and the content they're producing for your brand. Now, if it's a byproduct, there is sales, fantastic, but that is not the objective to working with the influencer. And I feel that's where a lot of business owners go wrong. Would you agree? 100%. And, you know, and I I will firsthandly admit that a couple of years ago, I did a campaign and then they were refusing to pay because they didn't receive a return of investment straight away. And it's like, well, that's, that's not my fault. Like I've done my part. I've created the content. I've submitted it. You've approved it. I've engaged with my audience just because you haven't seen immediate results from that doesn't mean that my job has not been done because it has. And what I would then see is months later, people tagging me in a product that they've seen. So, and that still happens to this day. Places that I've stayed at that I've shared, places that I've visited, people tag me. Actually, I came here because of your recommendation, loving it. And that is really cool. That's a cool thing. But you've got to remember that it's not going to always produce sales or straight away. It can be like later, later that those sales come around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I always explain to the client, you've got to look at it like advertising. You're putting an ad in a paper. How many sales are coming direct Mm -hmm. from that paper ad? It's really hard to measure. So it's the same thing with influencing. You are putting your money into paying for an advertising spot on this influencer's platform. So therefore, your expectations on the results are got to be in terms of the contract. Did you deliver the content that was on brand? Did you um, engage with the uh, followers when they asked you questions? Was the content aligned? Did you paint their brand in the best light you possibly could? And I think another classic example is we work a lot with Westfield to do their influencer Mm. campaigns as a PR agency. Now, they spend a large sum of money on them, as has Mercedes in the past, and, you know, they wouldn't continue to do it if it wasn't a viable business strategy for marketing. And I think that is the biggest indicator that influencer marketing works. But the other thing I notice in these groups, every single time they will complain they didn't get the return. The next question I always say, well, did you have a contract in place? Yes. 99.9% of times they're like, no. And it's like, well, there you go. Would you go and build a brand new website without a contract in place? Would you engage a PR agency that's judging it without a contract in place? It's just like, if you're going to work with influencers, and I always say over $1,000, 
you know, have a very tight contract in place. But even if it's over $500, we will implement a contract as a PR agency. And I think that's just beneficial to both parties because you're outlining the deliverables, the timeline, the content, the messaging, and then the outcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you produce beautiful agreements when they come through. They're very clear. So what I love about yours, when they come through, they have a brief about the brand, the business, what's expected, how long the contract goes for, examples of what to achieve for your content, examples of what not to do. I find that's really helpful. And then (laughs) Like and and I even love it when my photos or a post of mine has been included in the example of what to do because then it helps me know like oh okay well I know what I did to achieve that so I can just aim for that it helps me set it up like yeah, yeah like the logistics of it all yeah so it's very clear and you can even set one up in in um is it Google Forms I've I've received some that are just like oh and you just have to agree on here and then it's submitted it's just as long as there's an email trail or something that shows that there's an agreement between two of you that influencer is going to deliver the requirements and I think that's it even um, my online course is actually a whole section on influencers and I give you my PR templates that we give to influencers like Ashley because I've just come up against it so many years trying to fix problems and I was like done with it. I was like, right, I'm putting this in my course. It is exactly what we use in our PR agency. And going back to that, what not to do, it is a huge part of this contract that I recommend you use or agreement because it's like Ashley's obviously partner, husband's Alex. I will say, I don't want Alex in the photo. I just want you. And I don't (laughs) um, stand against a blank wall and make sure that it's the top half. It's a headshot or make sure it's a full body shot or make sure it's in square form at like I am obviously been doing this now for probably 10 years because I was doing it in my hairdressing um, salon prior to starting any of my Instagram accounts I actually started working with influencers back then I now know the clearer I can be on what exactly I want for the client or for myself the better outcome it is for everyone and then putting that timeline on it and also then putting um you know the content must stay live within for 90 day minimum I think a lot of people forget that because there was a stage where influencers were putting up content and then deleting it two to three days later yeah I didn't even know that was a thing that was a thing. And, and I'm like, how cool. dare you? That's just yeah. rude. I, I just guess not everyone has <laughs> like, oh, but the courtesy. In Sydney, there was a case of a cafe and they'd paid influencers to come in and try their breakfast, I think it was. And yeah, I've read about this. It. Yeah, and then literally 48 hours later, the girls, the influencers removed it. And then the cafe argued in a court of law that they had paid for it and it was removed within 24 hours. But the uh, the law actually sided with the influencer saying, as per their agreement, it, there was no agreement with how long it had to stay on there. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's a form of advertising. So you don't say to the paper, oh, I put it out in three, four weeks ago. Is it still sitting there in your paper pile? Like, <laughs> you know, that's how they likened it. It's advertising. And there is a very short lifespan on advertising. Um, so interestingly, I really push that it must live for 90 or even 180 days if it's a very big contract so that someone scrolling back through that Instagram account can still see the content the business owners paid for. So I think that is something to be really mindful of. So obviously the industry has changed so much since you started. What are we seeing now? Um, You know, there's a lot of influencers making a career out of it. What have you noticed has changed a lot more in the industry, say, than going back five years ago? Definitely a lot of trends have changed do you remember back in the day when there would be the white borders around photos 
<laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Thank God that's over. Uh, but And then um, I think now we're seeing more, because of COVID, people want to see more realistic day in the life, very true, no filters, what's going on in someone's life, so less staged. And I think that the accounts that are still doing the staged, like perfect, photos at home or whatever they're just they're really struggling and starting to fall behind because people are like well we don't want to see that anymore like that's not serving we want if we missed out on so much human connection over the last two years that we want to see like the person in action doing something or what it is that their page is about and and without like the filters or it being perfectly curated so I think people are allowing the walls come down and be a little bit more messy and be less planned that's just a trend that I'm really really noticing lately but also more content creators are coming through because they're they're able to provide the styling, the makeup, the hair, their their photographic skills are sensational. And some people just have a better eye for detail than others. And they're able to take beautiful photos. And so brands are really recognizing that, hey, like it's actually a lot more affordable for me to hire a content creator to get on board with our next campaign, shoot all the content, submit it. And then we've got content to post on our social media for the next month. Yeah, and I think that's a big tip. So sometimes I'll engage Ashley and obviously Alex is Ashley's husband that's also a photographer. So I will engage not only for the post but actually to create additional content. And I know we did this with Mercedes, additional content. And then Alex will actually send me those photo files to pass on to the client. So although I'm getting a post on um, Ashley's Instagram, I'm actually also getting additional photos for the client, this being Mercedes, the last one we did, so that Mercedes-Benz could then use them ongoing in their marketing as part of our agreement. So I think that's an extension of engaging an influencer. It's always good to look beyond that because just quickly give me a snapshot of what it takes to do one post, what from an influencer perspective. So say I approach you, I'd love you to do this brand campaign. We're going to negotiate. Okay, we've negotiated a deal. We've agreed on a price. We've agreed on the timeline deliverability. We've agreed on messaging. What do you do once you've got all that? Okay, so let's say I'm going to shoot an outfit. So firstly, we've done all that the admin side of things, so that's usually going back and forth a little bit for a couple of days. We've locked it in. I've got to choose a day and a time where there's going to be good weather, where it's not too hot because you don't want to die under the sun, but also in melt off your face. You need to plan it so that the sun is at a certain point in the day where it's not shining in your eyes or it's above you because, yeah, it's like it's the so little simple things like that, but then scouting your location, driving to the location, not to mention prior to that, you're packing the car, you're doing your hair, your makeup, your styling, your, so what I'll do is I'll style any accessories, hang them over the hanger, I'll steam the outfits, then I'll load up the car, we'll drive to the location, I'll get changed in the back of the car, we'll then go to find the location, shoot at it. It takes a little bit to get into the groove of things and yeah. then you've got to get your shots, get changed. You're the next one, you're a hot, sweaty mess, you got to touch up. Yeah. And it goes on and on. So an yeah. average to achieve one photo, would you say it'd be fair to say probably three to four hours in prep time, packing up, yeah, arriving at location, multiple photo shoots, multiple changes, and then obviously packing up. And that's not where it stops. Then you no. or Alex will go back and begin yep. to edit. Would that be? Yeah, yeah. so we'll go home, we'll import the photos, we'll then go through them, choose the ones that we like, export them, 
then we'll send them off to the client. So I'll package that up nicely. So I'll put up, I'll choose the photos or the reel. I'll, I'll caption it. I also have to record the stories as well because usually they'll get it as a package. So you get the stories and then I package that up so that it's all sent off together and then wait for the approval. And then we choose the date that it goes live. So it just is, a, it's, it, there's a big process behind it and I have systems in place so that I'm like, okay, like I have this day for, like you mentioned earlier, I'm doing my content. Then the next day I'm going to edit it all. And then the next day I'm going to submit it all. Because if you try and do it all in one go, it's just, you're exhausted. Like shooting days are exhausting. They're exciting and I love them. But they, by the end of it, you just fall into a heap. <laughs> and I think that's, I guess what I'm trying to explain here is a lot of people go, oh, an influencer is charging a thousand dollars for photo. That's so much money. And I'm like, it again, blows my mind. I'm like, do you know what it takes? And to be honest, in fairness to everyone, a lot of people do not understand what it takes to be an influencer, especially mm. I think in particular the fashion reel. And I barely, rarely do fashion. And I the other day I did do. You did a, do um, one. I saw. I did do one. A, a lovely <laughs> a friend who I worked with off and on for seven years kindly just gifted me some beautiful shirts from One Palm, a beautiful um, clothing store down in Dunsborough. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can be a fashion influencer. And, oh, my God, four hours later, tearing my hair out, hot, sweaty, like I said, for shit. <laughs> Watching thousands of transition reels to work out how the hell they pull shirts off without actually looking like they're pulling a shirt off. And, mm-hmm. like, in the end, I got Celeste and Paige to help me. I was blowing my mind, getting just going out of my mind, going, I do not know how people do this every day. Um, yeah, I I never went down the fashion influencer track because the time, you know, that's six hours of my time or seven by the time I edit it. Yeah. Six to seven hours for one reel. I was like, wow, you know, I could have done so many other things that financially Mm. would have been better in my business to do that. So I absolutely, when you look at it for the fees you charge, you know, you're kind of getting around that $50 an hour. Yeah. You know, I think, and that's why these Yeah. Yeah. These fee increases are actually very valid and warranted in my opinion, because that's the truth of what goes on behind the scenes that no one sees about. They think they just, you just take a photo on your iPhone and then post it. And that's not the truth. So, And I mean, I'm sure there are some that do do that, but they're also not treating it like a business. And for a lot of us, we are treating it like a business. We've worked hard at it over the last 10 years or more. And brands are seeing our worth and getting on board with it and they are supporting us. And, you know, I'm very selective with who I take on, how many I take on. And I know like where, like what balance I can take on and uh, yeah, without, you know, agreeing to too many things at once, because then I just feel like my creative brain is going to explode and I've got nothing left to give. So yeah, having, knowing not what not to take on can, can be very helpful as well. And I think that's important because at the start, a lot of influencers will do everything and anything Mm. when it's quite overwhelming when people start offering you things. And I know when I started the Perth Collective, I'd come home and there'd be piles of stuff on my doorstep Um, to the point it was getting very awkward for me. And that's, I always felt this burden with this account because people were so generous and gifting to me constantly that, and then I'd go to my office and people were dropping off stuff there. And I just couldn't physically post this much. And I felt this awful burden that you know it's so lovely people being kind to us but even back then stories wasn't a thing I can't I don't mm, think there was snapchat no. was 
Yeah, so like to do a post and do five posts a day just wasn't a viable thing. So I ended up getting a post box and then really limiting how people could find out where to contact me or what to give to me. And I ended up declining a lot because it was becoming very awkward for me. So I think, you know, a lot of people don't see that side to being an influencer. You know, when a small business owner comes to you, you want to help them, but you need to manage their expectations and outcome. And I think that's where a lot of influencers will go wrong in that initial phase because they'll go, oh, yeah, I'll take it. And then they don't post. Instead of just saying, look, that is not something that aligns with me or something I'm comfortable with and refusing it from day dot, they'll take it on board. And that's when you lead to the, and there's no contract in place. And that's when you lead to the failure of adhering to the terms and conditions or getting your post. So I think that's really important to bring up as well. Yeah, of course. And I too had to get a post, a PO box just because I was experiencing the same. And when, before I signed on to have a manager, one of the things that he got me to do was write down all the things that I'm associated with right now. Anything that's waiting to be shot, write it down. What, how many things am I associated with? And there were more things on that piece of paper than days in the month. And I realized that I've just taken on way too much. And that was a really pivotal exercise for me to do and I encourage anyone to do that because then you realize hang on a second I can't manage this no wonder why I'm stressed out I've been people pleasing and we need to create those boundaries and like I've had people or companies that still have my PO box and they'll send me things then slide into my DMs so I get I get overwhelmed by opening things so I'll buy like let's say a new laptop or a new phone or whatever, and I'll let it sit there. Anything technology related, it will sit in the box for like two to three weeks. I cannot open it because I'm so overwhelmed by it. Same goes for boxes of parcels that arrived. Like they will sit there and I'm so, so grateful. But for me, I know that it means work. And so then I know that something is attached to it and it's disguised as a gift. But, and I sound so wonky, but I'm very grateful, but it's then the expectation of that I have to post about it or whatever. And it might not be something that I, I want to post about. And you will see me sharing things if I've already bought it or I've come across it. And I'm like, how cool is this? It just came in the mail. I just bought it and I'm sharing it because I love it. But also it's awkward when then the brand has then reached out and they're like, hey, I sent you this. Did you get it? Oh, when will you be sharing? And it's like, oh, I didn't know that I had to share that it, that wasn't clear or I didn't know that I was receiving it and so it does become really uncomfortable and I know it sounds like first world problems and oh, it's very exactly. privileged and I want to acknowledge that but it's just a very uncomfortable situation to be in and I think that's it bringing it back to that contract if you want to gift an influencer or you want to engage one in a paid capacity you must have the expectations very clear and upfront to the influencer because we get sent stuff all the th- times Um, And like you say, we don't have the capacity to post everything, but we also didn't ask for it. And that sounds like Mm. an awful thing to say, but it is much uh, better. And I mean, my contract templates in my um, course have all this about that opening email that actually says, hi, I'd love to work with you. Um, I'm reaching out because I'm a big fan. You know, let's explore opportunities. Can you send back your media kit? Because firstly, we're being respectful that this is a job and this is an income Mm. for someone. So please send back your media kit. And that is how we begin the negotiations. And then it follows on from there of how to negotiate. But I think, you know, for everyone listening, that is the biggest advice we can probably give you is if you would like to work with the influencer, Firstly, approach them in an email and look for options and opportunities and then let them lead the conversation whether they have the capacity to take something on work on board or not take it on board or whether it's only paid opportunities at the moment. 
And then if you'd like to gift them something, a gift means I don't expect anything in return. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear yeah. with that. So if you expect, want to gift someone, that's a beautiful thing, but you cannot expect anything in return. If you want to pay them or have an agreement with them, then that's where your expectations in return start to play in and they are very valid because you have an agreement. So if everyone can kind of take that away, if you are gifting very clearly, do not expect anything in, ter- in return. And if you do get something, amazing, but you can't hold them accountable. Of course. And there was always this one email that stood out to me. So I usually will just won't accept gifts because also I'm, I'm limited with space. I've also just moved house. Like <laughs> I'm like yeah. bursting out the seams of where to put things and I don't need to be surrounded by things. I'm of course grateful, but there's just no space. And I one day received an email and the caption, the the subject line was really fun. It was like, oh my gosh, I love your eyebrows. You must tell me where you get them done. And I was like, that's random. Okay. And then, and then the way the email was written, it was like this person was just having a chat with me and they had accessories and they just said, I have this accessory brand and all I know is that my earrings need to be on your ears or something like that. And it was just really funny in the way that they wrote it. And I was like, I vibe with this person. And she was like, there's no expectation on my end. And I would just be so happy to know that you own a a piece of my jewelry. And I thought that that was really lovely. And no one had ever approached me like that before. So it really stuck out to me and I still remember it to this day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm probably going to share it now anyway because yeah, <laughs> because absolutely. there is no expectation. And the way it made you feel was ultimately a marketing tool that she yeah. used that you are valid, um, I don't expect anything from you. And, you know, that's so incredibly powerful and you've shared that with us. That was how impactful that email was to you and it really obviously, I actually remember that email because you shared it and I have a yeah. screenshot of it somewhere because I was like, this yeah. is brilliant. And you know what? She probably wasn't strategically doing it she was just emailing from the heart but you felt that and it was so beautiful so I totally remember that yeah I think it's still on my IG tips uh highlight reel yeah on my page yeah okay great so if you want to check that out you can definitely check that out and we'll um go through Ashley Jade's Instagram handles in a little while so I just want to finish off with um three questions you'd love to ask me about business or PR or marketing Hit me up. What have you got? Yes, I'm sure the people want to know as well. So as a PR agency, what is it that you look for when you're looking for talent to work on a campaign with you? Yeah, so I think the first thing we look for is other brands I've worked with that are in the same, um, I guess, a similar aesthetic or a similar brand level. So that's really important for me that they're representing current brands very similar. Obviously, if you're starting out, you can do things like, pretend you own things like you know if your parents have a Mercedes car for God's sake you can stand next to it and take a photo (laughs) and you look like you've worked with Mercedes or you can um, do other things I know when I was starting out I would purchase so much and then just share it and that looks like brand association to me so it doesn't matter necessarily whether you have worked for the brand or not it's just that your aesthetic and your um what your passions and interests are aligned with the business or brand we're representing. The other thing is how quickly they're engaging. So I will always try to trip an influencer up by asking a question and seeing how quickly they respond. I might go into their DMs and ask a quick question about a product or something they're promoting and, again, judge how quickly they respond. So I think that's a huge thing of testing the influencer. And I obviously just watch their content and see how they're going for a few months before we will reach out to them. 
Wow. So a lot of work goes on behind the scenes before the engagement actually happens. Our knowledge of knowing exactly who does what they're asked to do and who lets us down and then who the influencer um, aligns with. Plus, obviously, we have very stern contracts in place as well. So I guess that if you're engaging an influencer, that is the role of a PR agency rather than as a small business reaching out. Love that. And this is not a question that I was going to ask, but I'm going to ask it then because it just came to my head. Do you have anyone blacklisted? Of course. Yes. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. Spill the tea. (laughs) And you would know them. Um, We've had influencers go into restaurants and um, put bugs in their menu. No. Yes. And caught on camera. And I've been. You're joking. Camera. And, you know, it was someone I knew who owned a restaurant and they sent it to me and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So that person has been banned from all my guest lists. Obviously, we never work with them or with any of our hospitality clients. Oh, yeah, there's my quite, God. you know, and they were doing it to make a bit of a, I guess, increase their engagement on social media or, and it was completely false. The cameras proved and showed that. And that was in Perth. Yeah. Wow. And then there's other people that I find are just disrespectful when a we've invited them to an opening or something and they complain about the food or not being enough alcohol or something. And I'm like, wow, that business has just put on a 10 to 15 or $20,000 event. And you feel entitled that you should have had sit down menu and service. <laughs> that really frustrates me. So yeah, we do have about seven in Perth that I've just completely crossed off the list or that don't fulfill our needs. And I guess that's also what you're paying a PR agency for yeah. because they don't fulfill or they do something like that straight away they're off my list and we can be quite off the list and powerful so yes there is definitely a blacklist oh that's <laughs> and so very unforgiving you pretty much never get back on my good list <laughs> yes oh my god I can't I am I'm astounded and the fact of how businesses in the hospitality industry have been struggling in the last two years. The audacity. Yeah, it was pretty heartbreaking. Like I'm so glad that camera was sitting right above their table. What are the chances it was? And it showed the action in clear, clear happening. But then to post it and share it to their stories and say they'd found a bug in this menu at this restaurant. Um, And of course, people commented and they were horrified, but it's actually slander. It is actually false, um, falsifying what happened. So it could have been taken a lot further, but, you know, I think we just, yeah, it was just a horrible incident, but that was only probably seven, eight months ago. So yeah, it was post Wow, still quite fresh. I'd had suspicions about this person, but that, that was totally it. Wow. Bye. I want to know how in the world do you struggle, um, ju- juggle it all? Because, sorry, struggle. not struggle, juggle it all. I struggle, you juggle. Yes, I juggle it all. Um, so I have three beautiful children, three of them under seven. My husband obviously is fireman and a firefighter and a professional one. So he works two days on, two nights on. We have very little support. Uh, we have a babysitter and the Duke, our youngest, who's two, goes to daycare. But we're very much ships in the night. So, for example, he went on to shift last night at 6 p.m. He got home just after quarter past eight this morning. Wow. I got all the kids ready, myself ready, dropped the kids to school, had the Duke, the two-year-old with me. I then went home. We exchanged in the driveway, Duke. <laughs> I drove out, he drives in, um, and then he'll have Duke today, pick up the boys, and then he'll go back on to shift tonight. So I'll be sure to be home by 4.30. We'll do that whole process again. Um, wow. We're just incredibly organized. And, you know, I think our kids are so blessed because there's pretty much either myself taking care of our children or my husband. And I had to accept that, you know, like last Friday, my husband was on shift all day. 
Um, and I had Duke and I just have to accept, accept that, you know, that is a day. And that sounds like a funny thing to say. I love spending time with my children, but that is part of being a mum and a parent and juggling it. So I'm very organized. Um, I also work a lot at night. I'm not a big mm. sleeper. Like last night I had five hours sleep, but like the last <laughs> Who few needs weeks. sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I've never slept a lot. Um, oh, and gosh. Then, you know, I think that's it. We really juggle it. And I mean, my kids have been playing Russian roulette over the last two weeks. So like I'll get one that'll come in at midnight. I'll get him out of bed and take him back to bed. Then the next oh, one will gosh. come in. Then I do, you know, two hours. I've got him back in bed and I think, oh my God, I finally going to get two hours of sleep. And then the next one comes in and I'm like, oh my God. So that's when you have multiple children. <laughs> yeah, so when does your day start then? I'm usually up by six. I've started, I like now to go for a walk and listen to a podcast every morning. And then yeah, I'm home by seven if my husband's not on shift. And then we do school by eight, daycare drop off all that and then proceed. But, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I guess I have given up my time. There's very little time for me to go to the shops or catch up with girlfriends. And that mm. was just something I had to, again, accept if I wanted to have this big business and scale it. And I have beautiful girlfriends that completely support me and understand. And I certainly lost some girlfriends over the time mm. because they didn't understand. But that was okay. And I'm very content with that. And my husband also understood that when he met me, I was incredibly ambitious and very driven. Um, and I was probably always going to want to have my own business and work. So, you know, he made lots of sacrifices, like selling his other business. And, you know, he's an amazing stay at home dad. Well, he's not stay at home because he has a job, but, you know, a lot of the time. <laughs> and I just think in summary, my children are so fortunate because I compared to what my parents worked around the clock in their businesses. Yeah. You know, our children, we spend so much time with, we're at every school concert, every school thing. Um, so I think that's the amazing thing about having your own business is that you have the flexibility to attend assemblies and you have the flexibility to take them on school holidays if you need to or want to. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of positives, but yeah, every day is different. And like I said, for the last few weeks, I probably haven't very slept very much at all. <laughs> And you're still glowing and look gorgeous. How? How? I think I just got used to it. <laughs> and there was something that you said going back a little bit is a few of your girlfriends didn't support you and that you're okay mm. with that. And I think that a lot of businesses that are listening to this podcast would find that a bit of a struggle with sure. them starting business. And that's a lot of posts that I also see in Facebook groups is how come my friends and family aren't supporting me and what I do? And why do you think that is? Yeah. And I think, so my bridesmaid, actually, I have never spoken to again shortly after my wedding because I had my first child. I got married within like nine, I got engaged within nine months, married within two years. We had a first child pretty much quickly after that. Um, and, you know, she said, I started my business, it started to explode. Um, you know, we don't have much family support just because my family's not in Perth. And, you know, she said to me, I don't, I'm never going to have children to put them in daycare. And that was like a dagger to my heart. It just broke. And I was like, I didn't have children to put them in daycare, but, you know, I don't have a mother like yours that can come and take my child and yeah. have them for a day. So we ended up, you know, after that, I could never get over that. And so I have never seen or spoke to her again. And she was my bridesmaid at my wedding. I only hard. had two bridesmaids. Yeah, so that was really hard, but I had to move on because that was so negative for me. And funnily enough, she's gone on to work and her kids are in daycare. <laughs> Yeah, right. I, mean. <laughs> I was like, don't judge until you've had children. And when you've got three, yes. and don't judge people that have no family support around them because, you know. Yeah, you really don't know what kind of support. 
it was so important to me mentally to actually work. I find great joy and passion in working and helping others. And that makes me such a better mother. So, you know, I would be such a miserable, I tried it for three months. It was a disaster. My husband was like, go get a job. (laughs) I don't care if you work at Country Road or Witchery. And, you know, I applied for all those. None of them would employ me. They're like, she's too overskilled for this position. She'll get bored and we can't contain her. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, I couldn't get a job at Witchery or Country Road or like, and I probably would have spent more than I had. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, true. I can confirm that that does happen. I think I've got nothing to show for the time that I worked in retail because yes. all the clothes were on my back. Um, so we heard some tips from Woo um, about uh, influencers and Uh, tips for them getting started and that kind of thing. But what are some tips that you would have for um, businesses that are finding an influencer to work with? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is arm yourself with knowledge. If you really want to learn about influencer marketing, do a course or speak to someone like Ashley or do my course, which actually has the influencer templates in it. Don't go into it blind. It is not something you can muck around with. Like that is the biggest thing. It's a big investment and it can yield huge results. But be very knowledgeable in your expectations and what you want as an outcome. And like I said, it's not sales. And that is what a majority of people come to us for. We will knock you back straight away from doing an influencer campaign with us if you expect sales because we can't guarantee that. We can't measure that. But like for when we work for Westfield, we'll do a very detailed spreadsheet on actions, which means website click-throughs, new followers, um, how many saves, likes, reshares. So it can be measured to that degree, but I think it's really important for a business owner to actually, before they just go and have a go at doing influencer engagement or engaging in influence, have a really strong foundation on it. And it kind of blows my mind that people think they can just have a go at it and expect great results. It doesn't work like that. That's why you pay a PR agency with seven years of knowledge or you engage someone like yourself to coach them through the process because there's actually a lot of strategy, a lot of navigation before you even get to taking that photo and posting it. Yeah, 100%. And I just got a DM on the weekend from someone who doesn't follow me. They know nothing about where I'm at or anything. And they propose like, hey, hope you're well. I would love to offer you this. It was like a ebook and a plan for the niche that they're in in exchange for a reel, a post, two sets of stories. Um, and the value of what she was offering me wasn't even a quarter of what it would be to post just one reel. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so true. And so I think that's where all that knowledge base comes from is understanding the market, understanding the expectations, and then knowing how to negotiate. So you're both happy because at the end of the day, it's a business deal. And if you're not mm-hmm. both getting something out of it and you're not both feeling valid, um, validated and happy about the exchange um, and the timeline of how you can use the content, all these sorts of things, how long you're actually able to use the content for, I think it, it, that's where people come really unstuck and have this, oh, you know, influencer marketing is a waste of time. Well, in my opinion, that's someone that actually hasn't armed themselves with knowledge how to do it correctly. So, of course, it's going to have its downfalls. Of course, you're going to run into trouble because at that early stage, you actually haven't learned. And maybe you have learned, but maybe it's time to actually look at it from a strategy point of view, which is a lot what we talk on. Um, both you and I teach that. It's it's a strategy rather than just a one-off post. Yeah, 100%. And I felt kind of insulted a little bit because this person didn't choose, like go through any of my posts to see where I was at because what their niche is very niche. And it was kind of like, 
oh, you're just making an assumption that this is something that I would want to be involved in. You haven't even gotten to know me, where I'm at mentally, mentally, physically, all of that. And so it was just like, oh, like you're just seeing me as a golden ticket, which really is insulting to me. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, we say that in the industry, they proposed on the first date. Yeah. So that's how I feel. I always refer to it as a date. Yes. <laughs> they jump straight on and go straight up. Actually, Jane, here, I want to propose and here's what I've got for you. And you're like, I, I don't, don't know you. you. Are you Stranger just- danger. <laughs> yep. You're on, um, you know, what's that swipe? The, the date. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tinder. Like it's like you just literally come out of Tinder and hit me up with this big proposal. So that is it. Absolutely build a relationship. And I think that again, you know, that's something we've done well as an agency. We've really built relationships with influencers. And that's not to say if we go into some of our highest tiered paying influencers, if I go to them and say, look, I've got this client, they don't have the budget, but I think the product aligns. I think this could actually be an incredible opportunity for you. And there could be more to come out of it. Would you be open to taking this on as a contrary exchange? And in exchange, they will give you X, Y, and Z. You know, some of them will come back and say, yep, sure, Nikki, that's great. You've paid the last four or five campaigns. I can see where you're going with this. And I know you have my best interest at heart. This is an amazing opportunity and we will jump on board. So that's when my relationship building with them that I have their best interests at heart and I'm only going to present them with opportunities that I feel aligns with them. So I think, um, yeah, there's just so much to be said for actually arming yourself with knowledge. And I mean, you and your coaching, you're certainly teaching from an influencer point of view, but I know business owners can have one or one off or a few sessions with yeah. you to other influencers that you would suggest perhaps working with or how to navigate it as a more um, a touch point thing as opposed to doing a course like what I offer. So yes. There's like different options, finding out if you already have customers that are using your brand or your products or your services and looking through for them through there, um, going with brand enthusiasts and what the difference are between brand enthusiasts, um, your content creators, your influencers, um, your micro influencers, all of that. There's different levels and you don't just have to go for the person that necessarily has the highest amount of followers. Um, there's different ways that you can engage with creators. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's really important. So we might wrap it up there today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. If people want to find you, follow you, and obviously engage your coaching services, tell us where they can find you. Just find me over on Instagram, search It's Ashley Jade, and um, I'm sure you'll put my handle in the show notes and all my links and everything are on there. It's kind of, Isn't it funny how Instagram is basically our online print it's our profile you just go in there and all the deets are there for you to find oh yeah absolutely I look at everyone up on Instagram <laughs> even when I get an inquiry through from the business I look them up on Instagram I'll hit up Google and then I'll Facebook them just to do a profile check you know going back 20 years we couldn't yes. do that now if I can't find someone it's very mm-hmm. concerning <laughs> so it's great yes. I think that we're like what have you got to hide yeah where are, <laughs> how can you not on the internet like that worries me <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time today it's as always such a thank pleasure you. definitely check out Ashley J she's got the most incredible joyful account we can learn so much from her and her tips that she shares and her knowledge all free on the Instagram account it's Ashley J just will really set you up for success with your influencer marketing so oh, have a great day and um, <laughs> we too. look forward to joining you all again soon I hope you love today's episode 
I am so passionate about sharing the stories of other business owners and passing on my knowledge and experience from the last 17 years of business ownership. If you enjoyed the Passion to Profit podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review or you shared it to your Insta stories. Don't forget to tag me at Nikki Milne underscore. In the show notes below, you'll find a link to my new step-by-step marketing audit for your business. Together, we're going to audit your current digital assets, identify your weaknesses, and you'll discover the solutions you need to accelerate growth in your business right now. And did I mention that I am letting you have this complimentary for a limited time only? It is valued at $297. So what are you waiting for? Go to nikkimilne.com forward slash business audit or hit the link in the show notes below. I'll see you there.